the 151st edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win 54 to 53. North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good. Fred Brown looking. Throw away to Worthy. Worthy five. The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber front court. Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gadgum champions. Love guarded by Keels. Gets a screen. Pulls up for three. Got it. Caleb from straight away. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just Josh here with you guys today as in a second I'm going to take you to a conversation I had with the Athletics, Brennan Marks, who covers both UNC and Duke basketball for the Athletic as uh, as he joined me for a great conversation regarding what he learned about Hubert Davis, the depth for Carolina entering this season, the, the, the growth that we could see from Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, and if this season is national title or bust. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brendan Marks from The Athletic. I am now joined by Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, good afternoon. How you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to come on and talk a little Carolina basketball with me, which does get uh, underway tonight unofficially with the the scrimmage against Johnson C. Smith um, University, or the exhibition, that is, rather. But before we talk about this season, I want to go back to last year really quick. And I, I don't want to talk about the run or anything like that, but you covered this team day in, day out, game in, game out. What did you learn about Hubert Davis during last season you didn't know while covering the program while he was an assistant under Roy Williams' staff? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the the concern coming into last season with Hubert Davis, obviously he had never been a head coach before at the D1 level, um, but he'd been a head coach on the JV team, so it wasn't like he was unfamiliar with that. And, you know, in terms of basketball knowledge, he obviously had plenty of that, you know, given his long and lengthy NBA career. I think the biggest question surrounding Hubert Davis coming into last season was if he had the personality or the demeanor to be a head coach. You know, when things got hard and when he had to make – tough decisions or have tough conversations was he going to be able to do that because he does have this reputation of being a really nice guy and he is a really nice guy um so sometimes that that can be something where if people cannot do that then they may not be able to make those decisions or have the success that they otherwise would be able to and 
I think we learned about midway through last season that definitively he can do that. And, you know, despite the fact that he doesn't curse, despite the fact that he, you know, does have this really upbeat, positive demeanor, he absolutely can hold people to task in his own way. And, you know, I I think the best example of that is probably what he did in the middle of the season. You know, the reason the Iron Five was born was because Hubert Davis basically looked at his lineup and looked in his locker room and said, hey, I trust five guys right now. And I know it might not be ideal. I know it might not be what a lot of you want to hear, but those are the only dudes I'm playing. And, and that's a really hard thing to do as a first-time coach, especially with as many, you know, older, talented guys as Carolina had last season. But he did that, and, and the results obviously speak for themselves. So um, I, I think that's a, a really big reason for North Carolina fans to be positive about Hubert Davis going forward and the ability that he has to make hard decisions, uh, even though he does have this, you know, personality that you may think doesn't naturally lend itself to that. You mentioned the Iron Five, which was the birth of the the turnaround for Carolina last year. A team that was, you know, six weeks, you know, or, or you know, a month before the tournament started, they were you know, they were outside the field of sixty eight, and then they found themselves playing on on that final Monday. But of course, they fall in the national title game. They blew that fifteen point lead, and over the summer, Hubert Davis said that that was the second time he felt his team was tired. That in the Virginia Tech game in the ACC tournament. So the theme all summer was adding more depth to the roster. They've got four incoming freshmen. They added Pete Nance via the transfer portal. Do you think they did enough adequately to address the depth issues that really hurt the team at times during last season? I think they did. I I think, you know, you talk about Pete Nance and he just in terms of, you know, the starting lineup, he's going to fill that role by, Brady Manick. He is not Brady Manick. I think people should not expect him to be Brady Manick. Um, he is, you know, I would say probably a more complete all-around player, but not the the straight-up flamethrower that Brady was. Um, but in terms of, you know, depth, Pete fills that void. And then you talk about the four freshmen coming in, and, you know, I think at least one, if not multiple of them, will have roles this season. Uh, and, and you're also talking about just the continued ascension and growth of the other guys in the line. You know, Puff Johnson having another, and, and really the first full healthy summer that he's had since he's been at Carolina under his belt. Um, Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn, now they have a year of experience. What can you potentially get out of them? So, you know, with the additions and, and just with the continuity of having guys back for another year, uh, I, I do think that the depth problem has been addressed. The bigger question, The bigger question for me is, how does Hubert Davis sort out that depth? You know, how does he, you know, cut the thing down to eight or nine guys? Because right now there are essentially, you know, five or six jockeying for those backup minutes. That's the thing that I think still remains to be seen and something that probably tonight we'll get our first glimpse at. You mentioned Pete Nance. He's the transfer for Northwestern, and he is taking over for Brady Manick, who, of course, transferred in last year. And Brady was an integral part of, of that national title game appearance run, but you did say in your previous answer that he isn't Brady Manick, even though he's taken over that. With that in mind, what are reasonable expectations for Nance as he transfers in and, and, and starts for the Tar Heels starting next Monday? Yeah, I, first of all, I think it's easier to say what's unreasonable to expect, and, and that's that he is going to replicate Brady's three-point volume. Now, Pete is a perfectly fine and capable three-point shooter. I I expect that he's going to have multiple three-point attempts at night. Um, But by the end of last season, deep into the tournament run, Brady Manick was basically averaging 10 three-point attempts a game. And and that is just not Pete Nance's game. And frankly, I don't know that that's the game of anybody on this roster. Um, But the things with Pete that I think are are, really interesting is he's a better all-around player. Defensively, he has experience playing the five, so... When Armando and he has better size than Brady Manick did. So when Armando goes out for a couple of minutes, 
he can slide up to the five and be a serviceable fill-in. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think is a better passer than Brady. So I think you're going to see UNC do more triple handoff stuff than they did offensively last year. I think you're going to see him used as a creator in that way. Um, you know, defensively, he provides rim protection, which, you know, Brady just frankly really didn't. Um, so I think, you know, Pete is going to be a valuable cog. He is not going to be a star. I think Brady last year, especially late in the year, sort of became the focal point of this offense. Um, and, and that's just not going to be the case this season. It's going to be the Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, and Armando Baycott show. Are there going to be nights where Pete has 20 points? Absolutely. But I think by and large, I look at Pete as being more of a Swiss Army knife in that front court because he can do a little bit of everything. So, you know, he might not average 20 points a game, but he's going to average a healthy number of points and rebounds and assists and blocks and steals. Um, and, and frankly, I think that's what UNC probably needed more so than just another pure flamethrower. If last year was the Iron Five, this year you're going to be headlined by the core four, the four starters that made up the Iron Five that came back, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Leaky Black, and Armando Baycott. Let's focus on Baycott here. It's a guy who tied the record for most double-doubles in a single season and became the first player to play in six NCAA tournament games and record a double-double in, in each of them. I'm going to simply ask you, is there any way that he can improve off of last year? And if so, how? I think consistency-wise, you know, I think there were still games last season where Armando offensively was not as on point as he needed to be. You know, I think there were games where, you know, he would still miss the bunnies. There were games when he would still miss the easy layups. And, you know, frankly, as as he told us during ACC Media Day, midway through last season, basically around February when, when everything started to turn, Hubert Davis sort of scrapped the Carolina break and was like, listen, we're not getting a whole lot out of this. And that had been Armando's bread and butter and in real time, he had to learn how to play in more of a four-out, one-in system where there was a lot more ball screen action. And he he just frankly wasn't getting the ball as often or in the same spots that he had been, you know, the first two and a half years of his career. So I think for him, it's continued growth within the system. Uh, it's learning how to roll better. It's learning how to finish at the rim better. You know, I do think there are probably going to be a couple, hopefully not too many, but a couple opportunities for him to, you know, show his perimeter shot to show that he can hit a 15 foot jumper from the elbow. Um, and, and then defensively, you know, he's really improved a lot, but you know, at the next level, if he wants to be a pro, he's going to have to defend in space and Pete Nance is going to take on a larger burden with that. Um, but I think certainly you're going to see Armando out there at times, especially if UNC is doing just straight up switching. So, you know, I, I, there are still ways that he can improve. There are still areas for growth. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's back. You know, obviously the NIL is nice. You know, the NBA sort of devaluing the traditional center position is another aspect. Um, but there are still areas of growth. So those are the two that I'm really looking for. We're talking with Brendan Marks from The Athletic. And Brendan, last year we saw Caleb Love and take R.J. Davis. Uh, we, we saw them take that step you usually see from your freshman to sophomore seasons. Where can they both improve as they enter their junior seasons for Carolina? Yeah, I, I think for Caleb, first and foremost, um, you know, it's decision making. And, and that sort of radiates throughout his game. It, it's a ripple effect. You know, it's every single thing he does. It is decision making in terms of, OK, well, when should I? you know, drive into two people and actually attempt a shot, a floater. When do I drive into two people and, and kick it out to an open teammate? Um, it's in terms of ball handling. It's in terms of knowing when he needs to pass and just get the ball out of his hands. Um, you know, I, I think defensively, it's knowing when he can gamble. And you know, he has great instincts in terms of cutting off passing lanes and getting steals. But he can't do that all the time because it creates offensive, you know, advantages for the other team. So, 
for, for me, just all encompassing decision-making for Caleb. Uh, and again, that is certainly something that he's worked on over the off season, something I expect will be improved, but to what degree I think is going to have a huge impact on North Carolina's trajectory and North Carolina's ceiling. Um, and, and then in the, in the case of RJ Davis, I think it's, you know, mostly defensively, you know, this is a guy who obviously has some physical limitations. Um, if he had Caleb love size, I'm not sure that he's still in school. You know, I think you could make a convincing argument that if RJ Davis was in, you know, if you put that game in Caleb Love's body, you probably already have an NBA player, mm. um, but you don't. And, and so this is a guy who, you know, defensively, he's going to have to prove that he can be pesky. He's going to have to get steals. He's going to have to play like a true point guard. He's going to have to hound opposing guys on the perimeter, um, you know, and, and towards the last part of the season last year, we saw him sort of emerge as more of a playmaking point guard rather than just a score first one. Um my opinion is that he's the best three-point scorer on the roster, but you know when you're looking at his game, if he wants to be a point guard at the next level, he's going to have to be able to pass and, and have a lot of assists. So, uh, you know, I think those again, it's it's similar sort of ideas for the both of them, um, but for RJ specifically, it's recognizing his physical limitations and the skills that he needs to show to sort of offset those if he's trying to make the jump to the next level. The last uh, returning starter we haven't talked about is Leaky Black, who was back for his super senior season. For Carolina, and look, this is a guy that has had an up and down relationship um, with 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 the fan base. Whether it from his freshman season, where he he played a really good off the bench, from his first two years as a starter, where he was really underwhelmed, but he was a big part of that team's run to the national title game. What do you think his legacy is going to be in Chapel Hill when his basketball career does come to a close after this season? You know, I, I think it probably does somewhat depend on what happens this season. Um, but let's say that North Carolina, you know, completes the comeback, so to speak, and goes on to win the title. You know, this is a guy who's going to be thought of in that Deion Thompson, Jackie Manuel, you know, role. That's what his identity is going to be. Um, you know, on every North Carolina title team, you usually have a star guard, a star big, and you got a defensive glue guy holding the whole thing together, you know. Most recently, that was probably Theo Pinson. Um, and, and Leaky Black is that guy. You know, he's maybe the best defender in the ACC. I would not at all be surprised if he ends up being a finalist, you know, or at least a semifinalist for the National Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award. Um, you know, he's a guy who offensively, is he going to be a knockdown three-point shooter? No. But is he somebody who can cut and can finish at the rim and who has good size and who can, you know, facilitate and handle the ball? Absolutely. So, He's, he's one of those glue guys. And, you know, I think every great North Carolina team, especially really in the last, you know, 20, 25 years or so, has had at least one of those guys. And, um, you know, if North Carolina, like I said, is able to go on and complete the comeback and, and win the title this season, you know, he's going to fit right in that same mold. And um, it's it's been a fascinating journey to watch, you know, just uh, thinking back to where he was as a prospect coming into college to where he is now. Um, but, but I think a lot of people think that just cause leaky doesn't fill up the scoring stat sheet, that he's not an important part of this team. And, and that couldn't be further than the truth. He sets the defensive tone for this team and, and for them to get back to the final four again this season, um, he's going to have to do that at a much you know larger scope and for much longer than he did last season. We discussed earlier about the incoming freshmen that consists of Will Shaver, Jalen Washington, Seth Trimble, and Tyler Nickel, you tell me of those four, which is said to have the biggest impact this season? 
You know, I don't think it's really all that close. I, I think it's going to be Seth Trimble. Mm. Um, you know, he comes in as North Carolina's highest rated recruit. And, you know, not that recruitings or, uh, or not that recruiting rankings, excuse me, are, are biblical in any way. <laughs> They're not set in stone. Um, but there's a reason that he was held in that high esteem coming out of high school. You know, this is a guy who has the same hops and the same bounce and the same athleticism as his older brother, J.P. Tokido, who started at Carolina. Um, you know, defensively, I think he's probably the furthest along of any of the freshmen. And as Hubert Davis clearly proved with his rotation last year, if you're not going to play defense, you're not going to play. And and Seth will play defense. Um, and then offensively, you know, Caleb and RJ cannot play as many minutes as they did last season. You know, they played the second and third most minutes in a season ever in North Carolina history behind Kenny the Jet Smith. Um, they they don't need to do that again. They're not going to be at their best if he if Hubert Davis has to play them that much again. So Seth can be a guy who I think alleviates some of the pressure from them, takes some time from them, lets them get a breather on the bench. Um, he can initiate offense. You know, he's explosive going to the rim. The, the shot is a work in progress, and that's why he wasn't, you know, a top 10 five-star guy. Um, but again, you know, it's prob- there's probably not a better shooting coach to have than somebody who uh, was as proficient in college and in the NBA as Hubert Davis was. So I think Seth is going to be the most impactful, but you know, listen, if Tyler Nichols shoots the three ball really well, he's going to play. Hubert's going to find minutes for him. If Will Shaver, you know, continues at the, you know, progressing at the rate that he has been, uh, I did not think he was had any chance of being a factor this season. And I would say that that's probably not the case anymore from what I've heard. Jalen Washington, it's a health matter. Um, you know, just because of that, I think the team's going to be cautious with him, but you know, has all of the talent in the world and fits the profile of what Hubert wants in a stretch four. So they all are interesting in their own separate ways. But but right now, I feel most confident about Seth having you know a legitimate role off the bench consistently on a game to game basis. Let's focus on Will Shaver really quickly. This was a guy that tra- or that enrolled in in January of last season and redshirted the rest of the way. When Hubert Davis met with the media back in the summer. He was adamant that that practice, which you see a lot in college football, where you see players enroll redshirt, then they play as redshirt freshmen. You don't see a lot in college basketball. He was adamant that they're not going to do that again moving forward. Why do you think that is? Because you would think that was something that would be beneficial both to the player and to the program. You would think so, but think about it from the individual perspective of Hubert Davis and Will Shaver. So put yourself in Will Shaver's shoes first. It's January. You just got to campus. You're a college freshman. You are still very young for your age. You just come from being the top dog in high school. And now you get to UNC. You know you're not going to play this season. So, you know, is is my head coach going to devote a lot of individual time to helping me get better right now? Is he going to have that opportunity or that time? No, he, he's not going to have that. And so, you know, I think that from that standpoint, Will's looking at a situation where, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not getting as much work as I, you know, would, would get if I was normally a member of the team because Hubert Davis is focused on this season. He's focused on winning. He's focused on, at that point in the year, getting things back on track. You know, as you get further into March and this deep tournament run, you know, Will Shavers, again, he's, he's redshirting. He's not playing. Um, you know, he's not going to get the same reps. He's not going to get the same amount of time in scrimmages and in practices that some of the other guys are, just like you see in the college football equivalent. And then from Hubert Davis's side, I think, you know, you realize that that's the reality of the situation and you feel bad for the kid because you want to help him and you want to be able to give him that time. And that's why you recruited him. And, you know, his parents are trusting you to do that for him. But but realistically, time wise, and with the constraints of his schedule and his job, you just can't do that. And so, um, you know, not to say that they didn't both know that coming in. I think they were fully aware of it. But 
you know, that's a tough situation for the player to be in. And it's a tough situation for the coach to be in. And, you know, I think that will in the long run probably will have benefited from it. You know, he was able to be there throughout the entire tournament run, got to see what that was about, got to see how much work it takes to get there and to stay there. Um, but at the same time, you can understand why or how that could be somewhat disorienting or, you know, alienating even, you know, for somebody who's coming in that early on. So I don't think we'll see that again under Hubert Davis. And again, it doesn't mean that it's not going to work out for well in the long run, but um, it's a tough situation on, on all fronts. A couple more, Brendan, I'll let you go. Do you worry about this team's mentality from last year being the hunter or this year, they're the preseason number one team in the country. They were preseason picked to win the ACC. This year they're going to be the hunted. Do you worry about how they're going to handle that from a mentality standpoint? I don't worry, but I will if it becomes a problem. You know, I'm going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. They're grown adults. They're grown men. They know what is going to be expected of them. They know, you know, what it took to get to the point they got to last year. Like, so I, I give them the benefit of the doubt in that respect. Um, that said, none of these guys, other than Leaky Black, have ever been on a team coming into the season that had expectations this high. Um, and when Leaky Black was a part of that team as a freshman, he obviously had a significantly different role um, and, and had some of those older guys ahead of him. So I'm not worried about it. Could it become a problem? Maybe. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's a situation, as we learned last season, is this team going to be, you know, slam dunk, absolutely, insanely good, perfect on its points from the tip? No, no team is. Um, and, and that's what the first month and a half in the season are for. If it gets into conference play and it's something that's still lingering or you see guys maybe not not playing up to the effort that we saw during the tournament run, I think it's at that point that you maybe start to get a little bit worried. All right. Lastly, I've asked everybody this question I've brought on uh, during the off season: Is this season national title or bust for Carolina basketball? Uh, I, I think it probably is in the eyes of the players, um, but I don't think that – for me, as somebody who tries to look at the program in its totality, I don't look at it that way. I look at it more as, okay, first half of last season, really up until the last month, you know, North Carolina is a fine team. It's an average team. It's, you know, I think Bart Torvik's rankings had North Carolina up through the last day in February as like the 35th team in the country, which again, that's a tournament team. It's fine. It's great. Um, after that, though, they're the number one team in the country. And that, I think, is where North Carolina fans expect to be on a regular basis. You know, the tournament is fickle. I, I You know, you look at Mark Few and what he's done at Gonzaga, it's crazy to say Gonzaga is not a good team or a great program because they haven't won at all, right? Like, I, in a single elimination tournament where wackiness is encouraged, um, you know, I don't think that putting all of your stakes on the championship, you know, is, is really fair or equitable in terms of evaluating things. But they have to show that they can maintain this level. And Hubert Davis has to prove that last season, the changes he made and the hard coaching that he did, just to prove that, that he can do that again. He has to prove that he can do that on a year-in, year-out basis. And really, he, like you were mentioning before, he has to prove that he's able to handle you know, the emotions and the pressure that, that is being given to his team by virtue of these you know, number one rankings and preseason accolades. And so, you know, if this team makes it to the Final Four and doesn't win at all, is that a failed season? I don't think so at all. Um, you know, if this team flames out in the first round of the tournament, yeah, absolutely. But I think they're too talented for that. So, I, I, you know, championship or bust, I think a lot of fans probably feel that way. I think the players probably feel that way. Um, I, I don't think it's as cut and dry in that just because, to me, I, I still look at this as being in the building phase of Hubert Davis's time with the program. 
Um, does this team have the chance? Absolutely. But, you know, just continuing to prove that he is the guy for the long term, I think is just as important as winning it all. I mentioned, Brendan, you're a lead college basketball writer for The Athletic. Where can my listeners find all your, your work covering the Tar Heels this basketball season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all my stuff is over at theathletic.com. Um, I'm biased, obviously, but if you're a sports fan, I think we have the best bundle You know, in sports journalism today, really. You get my stuff on the Tar Heels. You get stuff on college basketball at large. You get college football and NFL and fantasy football and MLB and literally every sport that you could possibly want. So um, come check us out. I put all my stuff on my Twitter, at Brendan R. Marks. Um, I try to engage with people. Uh, but, yeah, that's where everything should be, and, and there's a lot more coming soon. All right, Brendan, I appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon during the season, okay, man? Absolutely. Thanks so much. There you go, guys. As I mentioned, that's Brendan Marks. He's from The Athletic. Uh, make sure you do get over to the Athletic, to the Athletic to check out all of his great work. He is a, uh, a, a necessity of mine during the basketball season. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll get you this week's ad from DraftKings, and when we come back, I'll shut down this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off this season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app now, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA, whether it's the local Charlotte Hornets or my beloved New York Knicks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys have taken great evangelistic offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. As I mentioned, we are going to wrap up this edition of the show. We do encourage you guys to visit the website, heeltoughblog.com. It's a big weekend for Carolina as the Tar Heels will be in action on the football field as they host Pittsburgh. We'll have you covered with a preview. Then after the game, we'll have a recap, a stock report, a trench report, as well as Ashton's analysis. As for the basketball side of things, the season is right around the corner. Ashton is continuing with his player profiles. We had one up about Caleb Love this week. R.J. Davis is next. Then we'll be getting you into front court and back court previews before we do have you the first official preview of the season opener, which is officially 10 days away. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show during the basketball season. What is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast? Big shout out to Brendan Marks for joining me once again. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, 
Go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than